0: Okay, well let's get started. We have all of our guests on board. My name is Fran Stoddard and you've joined the Community Matters Call on Deepening Digital Public Engagement. Community Matters Calls are brought to you by the Orton Family Foundation and are an ongoing series designed to help people and their communities take charge of their futures. Online engagement is no longer an option, but how to do it best can feel overwhelming. Today's guests will help take your digital engagement to the next level, clarify best practices of online engagement that complement face-to-face engagement, offer a strategy for selecting appropriate digital tools and ways to use them. I'll start with a few logistics before we hear from our excellent speakers, Pete Peterson and Alyssa Black, and challenge them um, uh, after they've uh, introduced a couple of great ideas with your questions from the Google document. Since we have close to two hundred participants today, we will um, we have put you all on mute, um, but we're also recording the call so anybody that misses it or um, wants to review it later you will get that link. Later in the call, I might ask you to join our conversation and go off mute, um, or you might feel very compelled to um, join in, and you can do that by pressing star six. Uh, In your email is a link to our Google Doc, a shared online document for note-taking and questions. You can open that in your browser to follow along as we take notes. Our um, Orton's Caitlin Harose will be busy taking call notes on the document. You can add your own notes as well. It's a good idea to skim through there now to see what questions have already come in to avoid redundancy if you want to add a question. Um, But if you do have a question during the call, please enter it there. Uh, We hope to also share your wisdom, comments, and examples by helping – uh, to answer the questions in the Google Docs. So we want you to add to uh, the wisdom of the crowd here and um, give us more resources. You'll see a lot um, in that document already. We'll also leave the document up after the call and uh, send it around to participants um, so everybody will get the notes as well as the link to this call. Since the Duke Google Doc, however, can only handle about 50 people as active document editors at a time. If you aren't adding to the document um, by using the edit button, please close out and then reopen in the read-only mode, um, and that will give others a chance to add to the document. So on to our terrific guests. Uh, Pete Peterson is the Executive Director of the Davenport Institute for Public Engagement and Civic Leadership. Welcome, Pete.
1: Very good to be here.
0: Okay, and he is is driving around California because he also happens to be running for California Secretary of State, so we're really thrilled that he's spending this hour uh, with us on the road and not necessarily at Pepperdine University right now. I'll tell you a little bit about him. He was the first executive director of Common Sense California, an organization that promotes and supports citizen engagement as a way of producing more creative policy decisions and better citizens. Peterson has also consulted on several participatory planning and participatory budgeting projects. He has co-created and currently co-facilitates a training seminar called Leadership Through Civic Engagement. He's written extensively on public engagement for an array of print and online journals. I'll introduce you to Alyssa Black in a minute, but first, Pete's going to um, really give us a sense of the current uh, environment in engagement, maybe the challenges and opportunities uh, for public engagement in today's world. Uh, thank you. Welcome Pete and go ahead with your presentation.
1: Well, thanks very much and it's very good to be here. I'm so excited about talking on this subject as I think, uh, the time is, is especially ripe, uh, for discussing some of these issues around the changing relationship between citizens and government, uh, especially because of the growth of technology into this field that we're calling more broadly Gov 2.0. So where I'd like to begin is is to talk a little bit about uh connecting some of the principles that many of us and many on the uh, on the call I'm sure already know about regarding principles of public engagement more broadly and to see how they extrapolate we've found in some of the training working and consulting work we do into the use of online tools. Uh that presents both uh great opportunities and challenges, but I think it's important to understand at the at the beginning that so many of the principles that are pertinent in general public engagement are also applicable into the online space. So in particular, one of the things that we've learned, and this again comes through the training work we do with municipal governments as well as uh, the consulting work, is that the general principle of what's known as the Civic Engagement Spectrum, sometimes it was originally developed uh, by Shelley Arnstein, no, known as the Public Engagement Ladder. Uh, it's also known as the IAP2 Spectrum, the International Association of Public Participation Spectrum, uh, basically outlines the various reasons why governments engage their residents. And those reasons can begin at what I would call 1.0 engagement, which is informing the public. About, uh, a decision that's been made by government all the way through much deeper engagement where you're actually moving to a place that we call at the Davenport Institute empowerment where you're actually beginning to turn over, if not decision making responsibility to the public, uh, actual service delivery responsibility to the public. And so in that spectrum, there are three or four different steps. And, uh, again, that's a, what we would describe as a, a changing of hands of responsibility for either decision-making or service delivery from the government to the public. And in the regular public engagement world, uh, there are different processes that engage the public in different ways. And so if a decision has been made, for example, by a planning board and you want to communicate a decision that's been made around the general plan, uh, you would – convene the public in a straight information session because you want to let them know that that's happened. Uh, there really wouldn't be facilitation in that process. You might allow for question and answers. But those Q&As from the public are really meant to inform the public, not to inform government. But as you move further along the spectrum uh, to areas such as uh, incorporation or uh, getting more specific feedback, you're moving to a more facilitated process, and those facilitators can be either uh, resources you might have on city or county staff, or you might look outside of city government uh, to hire independent facilitators with a particular expertise. And in those instances, yes, you're looking to inform the public, but in a deeper way as you move along the spectrum, you're looking to get more information back to you as a policymaker in the formation of your uh, policies or decisions. Now when you extrapolate that onto the online space, there are many similarities there. And one of the things that we try to make sure that uh, the government officials that we work with understand is that in much the same way that you have a spectrum in face-to-face public engagement, you also have a spectrum in online public engagement. And you have different tools that can be used for different reasons. So for example, if you're looking to inform the public, uh, and use an online platform to do that in a straight 1.0 way, you would look more generally at your website or social media tools in government to communicate in a, in a unidirectional way decisions that have been made. Uh, we see this quite a bit in some of the growing number of what we call, uh, budget transparency tools, uh, a tool like OpenGov Dot com, a firm for which I happen to be in full disclosure an advisor, uh, does data visualization around budgets. And while there, there isn't a, a space there to get public feedback, in a very unique way, these transparency tools are meant to communicate out to the public uh, about budget decisions that are being made or might be made. As you move along the spectrum, you are looking to engage the public in different ways and different types of platforms come into play. So, as you're looking to engage the public for more intentional feedback, uh, there are tools like MindMixer. MindMixer is what I would call a, a idea aggregation and prioritization tool in which you're putting out very general questions, and the platform is meant to elicit thousands of responses and stream and theme them into a couple different uh, ideas or, or themes that the public uh, seems to resonate with. Uh, you can also do what we would call, uh, Survey Monkey or Survey Monkey on steroids, uh, types of platforms. Uh, Next 10 is another, uh, provider of these tools. But in this, you're asking very specific questions and you're providing very specific answers. So it's much more of a straight survey platform. As you move to the empowerment stage, then you're, you're looking at tools like, uh, we would call like C-Click Fix or some of these others in which you're actually looking for the public to engage directly in in service provision. So with the opportunities are there, and I'll I'll just close and, and transition a little bit to Alyssa, some of the challenges we found that governments face uh are the same between online uh public engagement and face to face. And specifically uh is this area of what we call the if we build it, they will come mantra. Uh many folks, especially in the online space feel if they just get the right online platform, whether it be an OpenGov or a Mind mixer or a MixedInk or a, a CrowdBright, if we just get the right platform, the public will naturally find it. And unfortunately, we've seen that dynamic also in face-to-face civic engagement, where there really hasn't been uh, very intentional thinking about what are what are ways that we can promote these tools and promote these public engagement opportunities to the public in a way that will elicit their participation. And unfortunately, we've seen many of these tools, uh, I guess we'd say kind of die in the vine, squirreled away somewhere on a city's or county's website, really because there wasn't really some thinking through the promotion of the effort that you're looking to uh, develop. In fact, I just saw that a great example of a city doing uh, doing just the opposite, doing a very good job of promoting this in my hometown of Santa Monica. Actually, in the front page of our local paper, right there on the front page was a, was an article about an online survey platform around a planning issue, uh, in which the city was obviously thinking very intentionally about, yes, it's great that we get the right tool, but we really have to make sure we're doing everything we can, either through media or connecting up our social media channels with an online platform to, in the words of uh, the online marketing space, that we're doing what what we can do to drive traffic towards these online platforms. And so I would say that that's actually the biggest challenge for government because working at a public policy school, I know firsthand, we don't do a good job of teaching marketing in policy school. And quite frankly, a lot of folks working in municipal governments uh, they're thinking about policy making. They're not thinking about what it will take, uh, to drive the traffic to bring the public out to these things. But thinking through, uh, the channels and the media necessary to promote these online platforms, whether it's social media or these straight online platforms, is what we see to be the greatest challenge.
0: Terrific, Pete. Thank you so much. That really, uh, sets us up really well for Alyssa and, uh, moving ahead. Thank you so much. Uh, so don't go away. We'll come back with lots of questions. Um, so, Alyssa, welcome to you. You're still on the line? She's probably getting off mute by pressing star six. Let me tell you a little bit about Alyssa Black. She is an investment principal at Omidyar and I hope I've pronounced that right, you can correct me, uh, network work that works to improve the relationship between citizens and government through impact investing in nonprofits, government, and emerging civic technology. Previously, Alyssa directed... America, the New America Foundation's California Civic Innovation Project, where she explored the use of innovative technologies, policies, and practices that engage residents in public decision making. Alyssa was also Government Relations Director at Code for America, a nonprofit organization that helps governments. Work better through the use of technology and new practices. She has also had extensive experience as a leader in local government, having worked in New York City's mayor's office and also the city of San Francisco's emerging technologies team. Clearly, she is very immersed and knowledgeable about technology. Alyssa, are you there?
2: I am. Can you hear me, Fred? Yes,
0: I can. Terrific. So, so why don't you take it from um, Pete and, and talk about developing a promotion, promoting these kinds of tools and developing a strategy for choosing uh, digital tools and using them effectively for engagement. Go ahead. Cool. and Alyssa, I think we just lost you again.
2: And I'm gonna take off my headset. It seems to be causing oh. some problems. Um so I'm here. Um thank it's you. Um, it's a pleasure to be here and to speak with um the community matters members and um participants and thank you, Pete, for laying out so clearly the engagement spectrum. I think um it definitely has um is useful to thinking through the type of engagement that you want to have offline as well as online. Um and I think you did a great job of highlighting um, areas where there's a transferable from offline to online. Um, I thought maybe what I could add to the conversation today was um, kind of following up on the the challenge that um, Pete recognized around kind of the if you build it they will come, and then maybe talk about some of the opportunities that online engagement can provide um, for communities, um, and then maybe get more specifically into some of the tools and choosing the tools that work best. I think for for government staffers that are kind of thinking about how to get started. Um and and I think this is one of the challenges that we see. I think it it parallels the if you build it, they will come um challenge is why do you want to engage the public? And that is an important question to always ask yourself in advance of any public engagement um uh um you know Practice and so whether that's offline or online, and I think understanding the why is really important, and that helps you then better select a tool. And so um, as Pete described, the informing—if if what you want to do in engaging the public is to create a more informed public, so that when you have maybe an offline or in-person um, meeting, they're better informed, then maybe it is providing really useful information on a website or. Uh, Maybe it is providing new budget data um, and making that available through um, an open data platform so that people have access to budget information in advance of maybe a budget hearing or a budget conversation, town hall type hearing that you're going to have offline. Um, And so I think that to me has been a really critical piece in, in choosing a tool is understanding the why. And then once you understand the why. Um, for engaging the public, um then I think you can get more into selecting the tools and so um again, following the the public engagement spectrum, and the kind of the one that I refer to, which is very similar to the one that Pete was describing, is this kind of modified i a p um, two spectrum, which is kind of informing the public and then consulting the public so um the idea um aggregating idea kind of platforms, which we call idea um, ideation platforms, those are really helpful in the consulting phase. And um, so if what you want to do is get a lot of input from the public around an idea that the city is planning to move forward, um, then maybe an ideation platform is the direction that you want to go. And that's really helpful in consulting the public. And again, that, that type of tool is helpful also in kind of an early um, stage of a decision-making process. So consulting is the first step. Um, If you want to kind of move down the spectrum to a deeper level of engagement, which we think of as cooperating um, or more of that facilitated um, handing over some of that decision-making power to the public, um, then you might want to use other tools that get you Um, a little bit closer to handing over that decision-making or allowing the public to use some of that decision-making. And so we found um, a lot of mapping tools um, are really helpful in that. So allowing people um, and the public to identify on a map maybe where they want um, a bike-sharing program or a bike rack to be located, or maybe it's where they want a new park to be situated, or maybe it's where they want sidewalk improvements. So, mapping tools are a really great way to kind of hand over some of the decision making power to the public, and that again is a deeper level of engagement than just kind of the one directional broadcasting that you might do at the informing stage. Um, so kind of the decisions thinking back to how do you get started and how do you select tools, some of the decisions that go into deciding the tool are again, you know, what do you want to accomplish, and and why are you engaging the public? And then the second, which I kind of alluded to, but I'll point out more clearly now, which is what stage are you involving the public in this process? Is this in the early stages where they actually can um, influence the outcomes, or is this after a decision has been made, or after several, you know, meetings have happened and budget has already been allocated, and the actual, um, you know, the actual uh, value that the public can add is maybe a little bit um, less influential and and you're really just informing the public at that stage. So really think about why you're, inf- why you're including the public and then um, at what stage in the process you're including them. And that will also get into helping you identify the tools that you might want to select. Um, I realize this is a lot of information and there are a number of resources listed in the Google Doc that would be helpful to reference um, as you actually go through um, a process that you might um, want to kick off in your town. And then um, I'll just highlight the one that Pete mentioned, which is kind of the deepest level of engagement that we think about on the public engagement spectrum, which is empowerment. And that, um, you know, I honestly don't have a lot of examples of that happening because we don't often see um, a lot of governments Uh, handing over, you know, complete power of services or decision-making to the public. But there are some tools that really help in doing that. Um, We've seen some community planning games. So this gets into kind of how do you involve the public in um, making decisions around kind of land use or planning. Um, And so there's a game um, that's also mentioned and referenced in the Google Doc, which is called Participatory Chinatown. Um, it happened in a in the Chinatown area of Boston, um, and it was where actual citizens and residents had the opportunity to influence um, and participate in the full process of planning what their community was going, what that small section of Boston was going to, to look like. Um, there's also neighborhood networking sites. Um, I am active in one in my community called Nextdoor. And so that really doesn't have to even involve government. So that's a tool that can be led and managed by neighbors um, as a way to connect neighbors with each other, build some resilience within the community, and really provide, you know, not as a way to – Um, offset government services, but as a way to maybe reinforce services that might be lacking in a community where neighbors can provide them for each other. And so neighborhood networking sites are are some of the sites that I think of as um, really uh, online tools that can empower individuals within a community. Um, And I guess I would just want to stress two other important things to consider when selecting tools. I think you really also want to know your audience. Um, There were some questions in the Google Doc around seniors, and there's also, obviously, when you think about online engagement, there's the digital divide um, kind of conversation that comes up. And so I think knowing your audience is really important. I think a blended approach is always an approach that's worth investing in, where you have offline and online resources available. Um, Online does, you know, reduce some barriers for People, transportation, childcare, a lot of those barriers are reduced by having an an online platform for participation. Obviously, those online um, ad barriers for people that don't have access to online resources, or in some cases, if you know you have a population that's um, not online but might be using text messaging or might be using mobile phones, um, then you could also look for tools in your kind of process of selecting a tool that offers text-based engagement. And so that's one of the um, kind of uh, criteria for selecting a tool that we think about often is, you know, knowing your audience, how many people are connected, how many people are using not uh, smartphones, one, but two, mobile phones, um, and would be interested in in engaging with government in that way, using just text messaging. Um, And then, of course, always having a blended approach so that people that... Aren't comfortable using, um, kind of digital services or online services have an opportunity to participate in person as well. Um, so lots of information. I think maybe, um, Fran, if we, are at a point where we want to maybe have some questions.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I, I kind of, uh, would like to go back. I think one, I, I'd love to hear from both of you about, you know, cities that you feel have successfully used different tools. Um, you know, kind of along this spectrum, but and, and Pete, maybe you answered this when you talked about Santa Monica. We've just heard about you know, it, it really depends on why, what stage, who are you trying to reach, and you know, really making those decisions when you choose a digital tool. But then it comes back to again, how do you, how do people know it's even there? How do yeah. you book these tools well? And and what have you seen has, have been successful?
1: So I, I would say on that point, uh, the, I've worked, uh, with the city of Santa Barbara, uh, and it was an interesting project there. I've worked on, uh, two projects there. One was with, uh, around a general plan issue and the other was actually around a budget. And what was most interesting about that was we formed a stakeholder promotion group at the beginning that include, included the major local newspaper. And in part what was we used uh we used uh two different platforms. One was called User Voice was on the budget uh tool, the other was Mind Mixer, which was on the uh general plan issue. But in both instances the platform itself was actually housed on the newspaper's website, not on the municipality's website. Hmm. Uh now I know a lot of governments, local governments don't have that kind of relationship with local media, but the decision was made in looking at the web analytics, that the newspaper was actually getting a lot more daily visitors, unique daily visitors, than the municipality's website was. And I guess that would be another uh, important question, I think, to put out there, especially to folks in government. Do you know what your website's analytics are? Do you know how many unique visitors you're getting on a daily basis and where they're landing? Uh, because the web unlike face to face engagement actually offers some unique opportunities to evaluate uh where your touch points are with the public, um, but thinking a little bit outside the box about where you're actually going to house an online platform, it can open up new opportunities to reach a public or areas of the public that you don't that you don't usually access.
0: Mm-hmm. And and a partner with a newspaper is a is a great idea as long as you can, can convince them that they'll get more hits
1: or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a really kind of a, it works both ways uh, for the newspaper. They felt it was a a civic duty, which especially for more local papers, you you do you do find quite a few media outlets that really see their own civic responsibility. But they also benefit from having uh, increased traffic uh, coming to the platform. Terrific.
0: Um, a question just came in that that I've heard from a number of municipalities, and that is that that many um, governments are are very squeamish about online. They feel if there's an online survey, they don't like the anonymity of it. They um, they want to know who um, is is sending these answers in, where they're coming from, uh, and they're very hesitant to use any kind of uh, digital information or um, not only to inform, but certainly when it gets to into consulting and empowerment. What have the two of you done to help elected officials feel more comfortable with the digital age and specifically online surveys? Alyssa, you want to start with that?
2: I'll give an example of um, I wasn't. Uh, I didn't work with the government on this project but I think it's one that it's worth highlighting and talking about um maybe how you know when you imagine when a, when you're a government employee and you imagine worst case scenario we it's actually played out at the federal level where they opened up a platform to ask the public for um ideas on what government should focus on and laws that should be changed and the number one law that came across was that marijuana should be legalized and then we should start building a death star um and so and so you know that that's kind of i think what this you know worst case scenario is for a local government is what if the input we get is not valuable or doesn't support opinions that we want or or you know a direction that we a policy direction that we want to go forward, and so I think um there's there will always be cases where you'll get a few people that are participating that are not constructive but we've seen cases where particularly in these ideation platforms where there's actually a little bit of peer kind of um kind of you know uh, self-reinforcing behavior And and peer – where peers are actually kind of monitoring each other and checking behavior. And so – which is really nice because if somebody seems like they're putting up comments that are not constructive, you can have, you know, other residents that will comment and say, well, that wasn't constructive. And then that sort of idea can trickle down to the bottom. There's also the way the tools are built these days because they're very sophisticated and particularly ideation platforms have been around and governments have been using them for I mean we were using them in San Francisco in two thousand and seven maybe. So they've been around for quite a few years. There's a lot of sophistication built into, you know, what happens if we get some negative comments. And so you can have star systems where if people like ideas or like comments, those come up to the top and sort of the the um outliers really go down and kind of fade away over time, which could be the negative comments. I think also um some of the conversations with government staffers and Pete I'm sure you have something to add here is you know n- negative feedback can also be really useful in understanding and preparing for what you might hear and and kind of the direction and and um community consensus that you might feel as you are putting forward different policy ideas. And so understanding yeah. both both opinions, um the pros and the cons for a decision that you're making can actually be really beneficial for the for uh for government.
0: Great. And and Pete, what what is your uh pitch to uh government officials that are very hesitant?
1: Well, I think it's understanding the capacities of the platforms today. I I think one of the things that Sometimes government officials forget is many of the very good platforms that are out there. Whether it's a, a Next 10, that's kind of more of a direct survey monkey tool, or uh, a Mind Mixer user voice ideation platform, is you're not just putting up the question. Uh, most of the better platforms allow you two or three screens on the platform to essentially educate the public before they get to the actual decision. Um and I think that's the other part of this is that even if you're consulting the public, to go back to, uh, Alyssa's point, even if you're consulting the public, you still have to inform them, uh, before a- inviting their feedback. And the best platforms allow governments the opportunity first to inform the public about the trade-offs, whether it's a, a budget or land use issue or public safety issue, go through three or four screens, and then you get to the actual now, given what we just talked about uh, with these trade-offs, what would you do? And then asking questions in a way that invites responses that can be useful. But we shouldn't discount the informing uh, capacities of these uh, online platforms.
2: Terrific. Um, can I add that in one of the examples in the report, Public Pathways, um, we spoke with somebody from the city of Rancho Cordova, and their perception of opening up their they used open Town hall, which is an ideation platform um and they asked a question about uh raising chickens in town and what they felt was that the the actual participation online was a more moderate view than the sorts of participation mm-hmm. that they get offline and so um it really for them they felt like it opened them up to a new audience um and new kind of participants, public participants, that otherwise wouldn't necessarily show up at a council meeting to voice their opinion because it was a more moderate view. So I think that's also something for government staff to think about um, when they think about bringing and, and posing questions online.
0: And speaking of public pathways... Many of the questions that came in, of course, were, what's the best for civic engagement? What, you know, what do you think, what's currently available? What, um, and then there is also a question, what study shows what digital tools work best for various community engagement activities? Is that public pathways? There, there are a number of reports um, here at the end of the Google document. Is that where you would send people? What would you recommend? So people can really make the best choice for their situation about what tools to use
2: yeah I think public path- pathways um again with any sort of like uh catalog of tools it it almost immediately gets outdated because technology is moving ahead so quickly and so this came out earlier this year um I would say, uh, yes, it's definitely a great reference for – there's a lot of case studies of tools that were used in different sized communities um, we, because at the time when I wrote it I was working on the California Civic Innovation Project We're very California-specific, so most of the examples draw from California cities and towns and states. Um, but I think that it does a good job of laying out – you know what what Pete and I described as the different levels of engagement inform consult cooperate empower and then the types of tools that you might use um to kind of get to that point so if it's informing it might be a website uh um, it might be a budget challenge if it's you know empowering it might be um one of the Community planning tools. Um, so it lays out the tools, and then in the case studies, it identifies the actual vendors for the tools, but we don't necessarily endorse vendors in, um, in the actual report. But it gives, and then there's a couple um, uh, call outs from and interviews from government staffers on how do you get started? If you're going to do an ideation platform, what are some tips that they've learned and lessons that they've learned along the way from getting these? um types of online engagement platforms ramped up in their towns.
0: Terrific. Um, Jay from uh Kansas has written, how do you best manage two way communication when you have no one to devote to it full time? I mean if you are getting lots and lots of responses, how how do you how do how do you best manage um some of these platforms and all the information that's coming in? Pete, you want to take that well,
1: yeah, I'll just jump in by saying, you know, that that could be one of those questions that you answer by saying we're not ready. I mean, quite frankly, if you're going to invite a conversation, but you don't have someone on your end of the phone line, so to speak, to um, to engage the public, then you're not ready. Um, because uh, one of the worst things that can happen is you put a platform up or you uh, even just go through the rather rudimentary steps of uh, opening a Twitter account or a Facebook page, and if it becomes understood fairly quickly that it's taking uh, a week or two weeks for people to get responses, then the public itself will pull back from it. Uh, mm. So th- there really does need to be a reinforcing mechanism from the government to let them know that uh, that you are listening. And uh, as simple as that sounds in many ways, uh, one of the reinforcing ways that government can increase public engagement is to actually show, and that's fairly easy to do in an online platform, since since uh, two-way communications are are displayed. Um, is to show that somebody in the government is listening and responding. Terrific,
2: yeah. I would, and just to add to that, I would say, um, in kind of when thinking through which online platforms you should use and and how how to bring them to your town, one of them is not just the why, but what sorts of resources do we have to dedicate to them. And if the answer is none, then I think to Pete's point, um, then, yeah, maybe you're not ready.
0: Very good point. Um, Also, on the um, empowerment um, and kind of deepening the engagement, Vic from California um, talks about how do we evolve – so that participants really become empowered from sharing individual ideas to an engaged community of action. And I think, Pete, uh, you talked a little bit about that there certainly, um, and we've talked about mapping tools, but you also talked about um, empowerment to engage in service provision. Can you uh, deepen um, our understanding of what you're talking about there? Yes, yeah, so I, I think
1: we're still at our very early stages of the empowerment tools, but certainly we've seen municipalities, whether it's uh, the city of Boston, which uh, had a tool that they presented a couple years ago, which over the winter, uh, when fire hydrants were snowed over, they provided a platform that the public could essentially own a fire hydrant and take responsibility for digging it out. And so the platform itself was essentially a mapping tool that showed available fire hydrants, and the public was invited to take ownership of them online and then actually uh, offline, uh get out there when when a snowstorm hit to make sure that they were clearing out those uh paths uh to the fire hydrant. So um, those kinds of areas whether you know we've seen some of those things in, in graffiti removal uh where you're inviting the public to again take ownership uh for certain places it starts with an offline platform usually a mapping tool of some sort um, where where an area of, of service delivery uh is offered uh and requested public involvement is is uh made available at that point, but then there needs to be government follow up to make sure that uh those services which have been invited are in in fact being performed. Terrific.
0: Um, I'm gonna go to Kimberly from Washington um and it's about how do you find new audiences and keep them engaged in a meaningful conversational level. And I'm kinda gonna go back to um examples of cities that have successfully used some of these tools to en- engage new audiences. Uh Alyssa, do you do you have some of those kind of specific boy, this city really did that piece of um uh, approaching and and bringing in new audiences and keeping them engaged,
2: yeah, so um a great example um from Oakland, which is the city that I live in um is they launched an engage Oakland platform, which was a mind mixer platform um again, this was at the consulting phase of kind of engagement, really posing a question to the public and asking for public feedback. When I interviewed um, their former digital kind of engagement manager about the process and some of the lessons learned, um, her feedback was that a way to kind of tie in and, and get new participants online was by integrating the online platform into the conversations that you have offline. So an example of that is you're having a public meeting about um, a dog park and certain things that, a budget that might be necessary or certain rules or zoning changes that need to happen to get a a dog park off the ground. You could have that conversation in a kind of traditional council meeting or committee meeting. Um, Encourage those participants to go to the online platform and enter their ideas to the online platform, and then ask the same questions that you asked in the, in the offline face-to-face meeting online, so that you bring a new audience into that same conversation. And so you're really um, targeting and making kind of the same specific ask to the online and the offline, um, so tying those two together. Um, and then she also felt like um, this gets to kind of Pete's earlier point, which was marketing that marketing is crucial and I and having been a public servant for a number of years, I realized that, you know, oftentimes um we don't market new things because of the risk and the potential for failure. And so through marketing, you're kind of uh, you know, advertising that you're that you're offering a new service or doing something maybe a little bit innovative and then there might be some risk involved and if it fails then it's a pretty public failure. Um but I think marketing is also a way to bring in new participants. Um, I do think that online tools do bring in um, a group of community members that might not currently be engaged. Um, And so I think through a strong marketing campaign, you can also bring in um, new participants. But I, I think from the feedback I heard from the City of Oakland, it's also beginning to integrate the online processes with the offline processes. So that there's a kind of parallel conversations that can feed into one another and support one another and kind of be a reinforcing offline online collaboration.
0: Terrific. Um, I want to remind everybody that you're on the Community Matters call. Um we're being it's very active on a Google Doc. Um uh our our folks are just reporting back to me that we are getting uh, some wonderful um, additional responses to some of these questions. I think we're going to have a very valuable document there. If you have other questions or you want to add to the Google Doc, uh, we invite you to do that. Uh, and we are so happy to have um, Alyssa Black and Pete Peterson guiding us through this um, this new complicated uh, but very exciting world of digital engagement. Um, I'd like to uh, look at well there's one we actually have um some people from let me see New Zealand and Romania today much less folks all over the United States and Canada uh Gio from Romania is asking what the role of open source urbanism is in the constellation of these tools. I don't know, Alyssa or Pete, if you are familiar with open source urbanism or maybe somebody else can answer that question. But I'm so excited to have somebody from Romania on the call. I thought I'd throw that question. Out.
1: <laughs> well I I think we're both I'm familiar with open source and urbanism, but putting those two terms together, uh I'm not exactly sure what what that might mean, other than it sounds like it might be related to uh, a planning process.
0: Yes, I think it yeah. is
2: and
1: I think Germany. Oh yeah, go ahead, Alyssa.
2: I was just going to say, no, I, I'm with Pete. I know open source, and I know urbanism, and, and I know tactical urbanism. Um, I think if I were to to guess, open source urbanism, I was I was actually thinking this might um, parallel a bit of what um, Pete was describing earlier, where you are collectively um, uh, providing um, services or resources to a community um in in kind of the open source tradition, but um I'm not familiar with that term
0: well, if anybody um is and wants to respond, uh, we can all share our thoughts uh, with geo in Romania um, pretty exciting, so we'll see what comes up on the google doc uh, another uh, Robert from Ontario um ask how do you assess cultural modalities and norms to ensure that the selected social media will be effective so in other words it, it feels to me like he's probably mm. asking about being culturally mm. sensitive as you're mm. using these different um digital modes
1: Pete, so, any- I'll just yeah I'll just jump in by saying you know many of these platforms do offer survey opportunities at the front end of them so uh now that's obviously left to the uh, honor of the person who is who is participating, that they are uh, entering factual information, whether it be uh, ethnographic or demographic. Uh, but at the same time, there's also the piece, and I know that uh, both Alyssa and I have been harping on this quite a bit, uh, but it's only because I think it's a very important point. Um, what are the steps that you are taking, and where are you promoting this uh, platform? It could also be determinative of the kind of participation you're going to get. Uh, I know in Los Angeles, which is where I live uh there are a lot of ethnocentric uh news organizations both online and offline that if you wanted to target armenian off uh Armenian citizens in uh Glendale, there are a couple very good and very well known within those communities armenian newspapers uh If you're not in a place where you're you're getting a clear understanding of where ethnic media is based uh Especially if you're in very diverse, uh, living and working in very diverse communities, uh, that's, that really is a place where you need to, to search out. Because if you're looking for specific kinds of engagement, there are places, uh, that you can reach them. And increasingly in online, uh, either news websites or blogs, uh, reaching out to these people to make sure they're involved in outreach uh for the platform is going to be very important.
0: I would yeah, imagine
1: multilingual as well. Uh, go ahead, Alyssa. Yeah, yeah.
2: I was just going to say I would I would also add from the kind of outreach for participation, the next stage is when you have a tool and they're part, and people are participating that have kind of various cultural backgrounds. I think if you if you can take um and I realize cities have limited resources, but if you can take like a user experience design approach which is work with the communities that you might be targeting or key public participants um that span the diversity of your community and engage them in the process of um framing the language that you use on the platform so that you have a clear language that um speaks to and across these different um cultures that you might have in your community i think And not just like a language from, you know, English versus Spanish versus, but like a a language of how do we make this um, engaging? How do we make it a participatory process? um, And really try to capture that in the way that information is presented and information is asked for from participants. And I think also the other piece is, um, you know, anonymizing information is really useful in being clear about the terms of use um also can help with people that might not feel comfortable participating in providing government with their information. And so I think allowing for that, while it does um in, in some cases bring down the quality of um the types of comments that people have made, they've found that, you know, by allowing for anonymous comments you might get um, more kind of slanderous comments versus um, constructive, but I think allowing for anonymous participation is important for people that might not feel comfortable providing credentials to government.
0: Yeah, you know, Annette from Hawaii was concerned that we could be inadvertently reducing voices of folks with accessibility barriers, whether technical or linguistic. And it seems that, you know, that's why you don't just do digital. But do you um, have any other thoughts? Um, well to ensure yes. that we re- we're reaching everybody. Go ahead, Pete.
1: Well, I, I know this sounds rather simplistic, but I I always ask in the training work we do in face-to-face public engagement, uh where some of these concerns are, are rightly raised, I think we always have to ask ourselves in the in the public sector, uh compared to what, right? So, if there there certainly are uh places and capacities of online engagement that in some ways are exclusionary. Um but if that's the only place, just to go back to your point, if that's the only place where we're seeking public feedback, um, then we need to we need to understand that we're we're probably getting feedback from a certain audience. But to understand that it really can in many ways uh very uh importantly supplement the other channels that we're using to engage the public. Uh, I, I, I think that that's – yes, there are concerns around participation, but at the same point, uh, there are numerous stories and examples uh, that uh, public engagement can happen in a, in a real uh, broader way through the online space in which even some of our best face-to-face public engagement processes can also be exclusionary to people. So mm-hmm. um, we're, we're about trying to add new tools to the toolbox while understanding that each individual tool does have its downside. Terrific, thanks.
0: Um, This is kind of a different angle. This is from Amy, um, who's uh, from Ohio. She says, we're a village with a good blend of industry, academia, and artisans. We want to ensure that we provide safe, secure, respectful applications that communicate the cool uniqueness of our village. What apps, business apps, and public services, would you recommend that establish us as a digital destination? So this is almost a whole village marketing um, piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe this is a little off subject, but um, no. about that?
2: Yeah, I'll, just, well, I'll start by just saying yeah. that um, I think what she's describing is more the information side of the spectrum that we were talking about earlier um, with maybe opportunities to go deeper, but from like a marketing and making the village seem really cool, um, there's a, some really um, interesting examples that we pulled out um, for that report. Um, I think LA County's Flood Control did a, a really engaging um, video um, on kind of why flood control and um, some of the different um, processes that they take to manage floods um, are important for that region. And so it's something like sedimentation, something or other that's like a very dry topic, and they made it a very exciting topic through a really short, um, kind of infographic video and so i think that there's things that you can do with different types of media video being one of them um to highlight what's really cool about your vill- about your village there's also infographics are really um engaging easy to digest um kind of Modern and can also come across as very cool um so if you have some really interesting stats that you think make your village exciting to either visit or live in or do business with um I think using infographics to share information is also very exciting um so those are some of the ways, and then obviously a um a, you know well designed website with Useful information for residents and visitors is also uh, key to kind of disseminating information and getting, um, because I think a lot of cities forget that um, the website, you know, a website is really like my first engagement with the community is typically me finding their website online, not me visiting their community. And so it's important to invest resources in um, the virtual front door of your community, which is your website. So I think kind of making that seem cool and exciting and engaging and very useful for residents and visitors is
0: the is first step.
1: Great. Pete, it sounds like not,
0: you might have had something to say. Go ahead.
1: Well, I was just want to quickly piggyback. Uh, it sounds like from the example, the description, that it's um, a community that has a lot of engagement and participation already. And I think in that, um, Alyssa mentioned before some of these community, online community building platforms like a Nextdoor, and there are others out there. But if – we've seen that in communities that already have a fair level of participation, that these online platforms, which, again, don't even need government participation other than maybe they're the convener or they might reach out to next door uh, to have them speak to community leaders, uh, that these online community-building platforms uh, can be extremely effective in reinforcing what is already a, a, a good level of uh, community engagement.
0: Um, and before we get to our final question, um, Stephen from Minnesota is concerned that, you know, with all the changes in Facebook and the torrent of surface content on Twitter, um, there's just so much stuff on those two. And maybe we're not talking about those platforms so much, but it is, is all of that material that's kind of overwhelming for all of us on an individual level making it difficult to engage deeply in those platforms or other platforms that you're talking about?
2: Um, I
0: so about just yeah, kind of, that I, of yeah go
2: ahead i I guess, um, I typically don't talk a lot about social media because I feel like a number of cities have um started social media um campaigns or at least have a Facebook page and possibly a Twitter account. um, I do think, to Pete's earlier point that it's very important too if you do have a page or a Twitter account to be responsive to comments, if you allow comments on, let's say, your Facebook page, um, to be responsive to them and to actively um, add new relevant content to those pages and to tweet out information that's relevant and useful to your community. Um, I think oftentimes we see Facebook pages that become very stagnant. There's not any – they they don't have dynamic content, and so there's not a reason for a resident to go visit that page. and so I don't know if that answers the question, but I think that there's a lot to be done with social media as far as engaging the public. Um, in the same way that there's a lot to be done with like websites where it's a lot of information push information pushing out, um and and that um keeping kind of content dynamic. I mean the expectation of social media is that it's real time, relevant and um and kind of fun to engage with and and if you can have those three things and have resources dedicated to providing that sort of content, then I think um, they can be really um, engaging uh, resources for uh, government. Otherwise, I think they become very much like a government, you know, website that might just have um, static information on it. Mm.
0: Terrific tips. Thank you. I, I'd like to get to kind of our final uh, question. We're running short on time, and I think this is raging granny wrote in. Uh, that's Marie from Rhode Island. She goes like, "Where do I start?" Um, and, and even Janice from Colorado, "How do I organize an educational campaign?" Um, so where do people begin? What can they what can they do next week to uh, really get going on their digital engagement program? Pete, you want to give a stab at it first?
1: Yeah, well, I, I know this will sound simplistic, but just the, the documents that are, uh, especially the work that Alyssa has done, uh, the documents that are in, in the uh, the Google Docs uh, folder, I think are a great place to start. I think many of the websites for the online platforms themselves, uh offer some great examples that you can either connect with and say, yeah, we're ready for that. This is the kind of project that we want to work with, or or we're not. Um, but really, uh, there was a old phrase from a retailer uh, back east that an educated consumer is the best customer. And I think in many ways uh, doing the background research in in what kinds of questions other cities are using these platforms to ask and are we ready for those kinds of responses. Uh, really is is the most uh, immediate step that can be taken. Terrific, thanks, Pete and Alyssa.
2: Yeah, I'll add. Um, you know, if if you're a government staffer wanting to get started, um, re- uh, reiterate kind of the points we made earlier, which is um, understand why you want to engage the public, um, plan for resources. I think one of the limitations I've seen with um, online engagement campaigns is really they're focused around one issue or one topic at hand rather than thinking about it as an engagement platform over a number of years. And so what does that strategy look like um, over time, not just for one campaign? So coming up with like the why, the resources for it, and then um, maybe even start connecting with either through resources that we've provided in the Google Doc or through your own network, maybe reaching out to some government staff, that have done um these uh used online platforms online engagement platforms in the past i think if you're a community member one of the things you can do is let your your uh city council or, or town council know that you have an appetite for online engagement um and then i think there's there's um the neighborhood networking tools that allow you to get started even without government participation, so there's things that you can just do as a community member to build up your own neighborhood resilience um but I think letting your your community um uh government staff know that you have an appetite for online engagement is also a way to get started,
0: okay, thank you, Alyssa Black, for your great tips today. And thank you Peter P- Peterson for all your insights and knowledge. Thank you both. Um I think this has been an incredibly dynamic um call and your expertise is uh, greatly appreciated. Thank you both. Thank,
2: thank you. you. Uh
0: so they have both put tremendous resources into the Google Doc and um we have additional resources from our incredible community who have been listening and adding to that. So please continue to add your expertise uh, to the google doc and uh, take a look at it it's it's already very full and very dynamic um we all benefit from your additional comments and expertise. A podcast of this call and all the call notes will also be emailed around to you all and posted online. Caitlin has also put a link to a very brief survey at the top of the Google Doc in the announcements section. We hope you take a moment to complete the survey and tell us about your experience of today's call. It's gonna help us learn how we can make this series as useful as possible to you all. Uh, thank you all from around uh, all around North America and well beyond. We are so excited to continue to have so many people that are so interested in making their communities stronger. Our next Community Matters call is set for October 9th on rewriting the rural narrative with Ben Winchester in conjunction with the Citizens Institute on Rural Design. You know, today's young professionals are thinking differently about living in rural uh, America. So although a lot of people are concerned about brain drain, It's not happening in a lot of places, so you can tune in to that call on October 9th to find out more. So thank you all for participating, and good luck with your digital engagement projects. We hope you join us again next time. Bye-bye.